Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Back in the early part of the 2000s, the most exciting athlete in Kansas City was Dante Hall. In fact, he even had a cool nickname, the X-Factor, named after his position, the X-Wide Receiver. But that then turned into something even bigger when he began returning punts all over Arrowhead Stadium. And everybody remembers that 92-yard punt return against the Denver Broncos that turned around a Chiefs season and turned around and created a career for Dante Hall. Here's my conversation with the X-Factor. I'm going to throw out a date for you. You may not know what the exact date is, but I think it's probably the most significant moment in your life, or at least one of the most significant moments in your life, Dante. January 12th, 2001. Do you know what that date is? January 12th, 2001. That's the day Coach Vermeer was hired. You got it, my man. I'm impressed that you actually knew the date, and you knew exactly what happened on that date. Context clues, man. I didn't know. <laughs> just context clues, that's all. If I would have just said January 12th, 2001, do you know what that is? No. No. But I told you it was one of the most significant dates in your life. And you're like, that's the day Coach Vermeil was hired. Yeah. How significant was that I was man? Everything. In you? Everything. Because at that point, my rookie year had not gone well at all. Um, I didn't perform on the field. I wasn't a pro off the field. Um, I was inactive after five games the remainder of the season. I headbutted the head coach. So I was surely on my way out. During the offseason, I'm surprised that I didn't get released that day, probably only because I was a draft pick. But um, I truly believe in my heart that when Vermeil's hiring saved my career. I truly believe that. So you headbutted Gunther Cunningham? Yeah. How did that happen? So Gunther is a hothead, as you know. Oh, God, yeah. He's a hothead. And I was running scout team running back at the time, and the inside drill was going horrific. The first two guys that were in there running scout team running back fumbled consecutively two or three times in a row. Then the coach throws me in. He thought I had fumbled for like the fourth time in a row. As you know, you only get eight to ten plays. So this half the drill is just fumbled. The defense is not getting a look. Um, he thought I had fumbled. Actually, what had happened, the quarterback bumped the fullback's elbow on the way to handing the ball off to me. Mm-hmm. So he just comes in my face is yelling and screaming and and just my hood instincts. You know, by that time, I wasn't far enough removed from the hood, so the, my hood instincts just took over, and I headbutted him, and I and before I knew it, my, my hands were behind his throat, around his throat, and the players were breaking us up, and I'm like, oh, my God, what did I just do? You can't do that to the head coach. Right. And he didn't release me. 
but I didn't play the rest of the year. You were I done. was inactive. That was it for you that was the it. rest of the year. And then they got rid of him at the end of the year. Obviously, everybody knows the story. And then he comes back as defensive coordinator, yeah. which is still bizarre. A totally right? different person. But a different person, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Humble. <laughs> oh, a humble person. A completely when he came different back. cat comes and back. And we talked. And I was more mature. I feel like he was more mature. And it, it was crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. You said you weren't a pro off the field either. What no. Do you, what do you mean by oh, that? Oh, man. I was um, drinking mm-hmm. heavily. I was um, partying four nights a week. You know, I was newfound money, yeah. newfound, I guess you can call it fame, even though I hadn't done anything, but I was a Kansas City chief. Right. So it's newfound fame in this town. And, uh, yeah, I just, I wasn't handling it right. Um, yeah, totally not a pro. So why did, why did Vermeil have such a big impact on you? Like, what did he do to change your entire life around? He basically instilled belief in me at the, at the NFL level. Everyone is good. So it's minute little things that, uh, make you successful or not. And I just had lost my belief. My senior year in, in college was derailed by injuries, and then I was released. So I didn't play a lot my senior year. Mm-hmm. I come into the pros, and for the first time at any point in my career, I wasn't the guy. I wasn't starting. I wasn't playing a lot. I'm just getting these little remnants, playing time. So, you know, in that window, you just, I just lost my confidence. Didn't know if I could really play anymore. Thought I had just maxed out. So what Vermeil did was basically instill belief in me because obviously I had seen him win a Super Bowl. I knew who he was. And for this, um, this well, um, th- this guy to come in and had all the success that he had and the, 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 the name that he had to believe in me, it was just like, okay, let me get my ish together. Mm-hmm. Let me pull it together. Cause if this guy sees something in me, maybe I really can. And I just started working harder, started being a, more of a pro off the field. And um, yeah, that's why I think he, that's what he did most. Did you guys have a come to Jesus meeting or did it just kind of happen organically? <laughs> come to Jesus. Some, somewhat, somewhat. Yeah. So the first time I even spoke to Dick Vermeer was not in person. It was over the phone. Uh-huh. That's why I remember that date. That's why you remember Because he date. called me in January. I was in off-season party mode. Right. He's like, no, you get ready to go to Europe. We're converting you to a receiver. And at the time, I actually thought it was just a, because I didn't really understand the NFL business. So right. I thought it was just a way of him convert me to a receiver i'm not gonna make the team as a receiver so i thought it was just some sham to shuffle me out of the door because i wouldn't succeed the coming to jesus meeting happened when i finally met him when i got back from europe from europe and we sat down it was i'll never forget it we we're sitting in his office first time i had been in the head coach's office you never in the nfl office no, what there, no. no come on you kidding me never yeah. um so it's the first time now you know let me back back yeah it's a good thing I didn't go in Gunther's office because at that time, during that regime, you only went in there when they asked for your playbook. Oh, okay. Unless you were a big time guy. Right. You know, the quarterback probably went. Sure. You know, some of those Who guys. Was that Gerback that Gerback. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> take, a, <laughs> take a sip of your beer. Yeah, that was Gerback. Yeah. yeah that was, that was, anyway, yeah. Um, so the coming to Jesus meeting. Happy there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's Gunther. There it is. There it is. Gunther exploding like a beer, right? <laughs> so the uh, coming to Jesus moment was when I came back. It was right before training camp. He sent me down in his office, and he basically pulled out a book that had all these different numbers, combined stats, and he basically, i never forget it, he told me that, hey, we could have had Oz Akeem here. I remember that. Like, everybody was pushing for Oz yeah, to come here. Yeah, could have had Oz, but we believe in you. We think you can be as good or better than Oz. I'm, I was an Oz Akeem fan. I yeah. love that guy. 
And uh, that was the coming to Jesus moment. And from that point on, it was just, uh, a, a precipitous ascension to becoming a human joystick. I think, I think what's really interesting about you and Vermeil's relationship, I think it's, I think it's a relationship that everybody wishes they had mm-hmm. with somebody, you mm-hmm. know, not, not just a football player coach, but you know, maybe it's a dad's son, maybe it's a boss employee type of relationship where, where somebody just has 100% belief in you and maybe more belief in you than you have in you. 100%. And it's funny you went to the dad analogy because that's kind of what a dad does, in my opinion. Like, I have kids now, and one of the things you do, you encourage them. You you pick them up when they fall, when they're crying. You put your arms around them, and I never had that as a, mm-hmm. as a dad. And my dad passed away when I was young. They divorced when I was really, really young. So I never had that dynamic other than my high school coach. Definitely not at the collegiate or the professional level. So that's exactly what it was and how I took it. Here's a guy that's believing in me as if I'm his own kid. Yeah, and so you have a guy. What What's that like, though, Dante? Because I think, like I said, I think everybody's kind of looking for that. Like somebody just to go alongside him, put their arm around him and go, I got you, kid. You're going to be good. For me, it was everything. Not only uh, on the playing field, but off the playing field because I'm gonna give. I'm the type of guy – you show me a little bit of love, I'm going to show you a lot of love. And I run through a wall with them. And guys used to complain about the time that we were practice. They were long. Yeah. But because I had so much love for him, because of the love and appreciation he had for me, I didn't give a damn. Like, you want to practice four hours? Great. Because I know I wouldn't be practice, practicing any hours if it wasn't for you. Yeah. So for me, it made me want to run through a brick wall for So, him. So you're the only one out there that's wanting to practice for four hours? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe, pretty maybe much. Maybe yeah. wants to practice yeah. for a little bit longer. Who guys knows, are complaining. So are you like telling these guys, hey, man, shut the F up. No, man. I haven't yeah. quite got that statue yet, but I'm thinking in my mind, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Complain. Like. But it was like hearing someone complain about your parents. Yeah. That's how I took it. You did. Yeah. That that deep. Yeah, it was that deep. It's still that deep. To this day, 10 years later, it's still that deep. It's, in, it's insane. You know, you mentioned your dad and, and how you grew up and you didn't didn't have a father. What was your childhood like? What was it like growing up without that kind of male influence? So it's funny because I when I look back at my childhood, what I see is, wow, we didn't have a lot of money. We were poor. But two things stand out to me. My mother gradually made our situation better than what it was in the beginning. And wow, I was surrounded by a lot of love. Mm. What we lacked in money, we had an abundance of in love, meaning grandmothers, aunts, uncles, cousins. It was just a lot of love. Christmas, always a great time. Thanksgiving, a great time. Just an abundance of love. So that's what I think about. So I think that masked a lot of the shortcomings we had financially. Your high school coach is a pretty big fatherly influence yeah, to you too. Right? Absolutely. So you got Abs- him and Vermeil is kind of like your 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 guardian. Surrogates. They are my yeah, surrogate is a good. What yep. was your high school coach like? So in the beginning, he didn't believe in me. He kind of came on late, so he didn't believe in me. I'll never forget. There's a story he always tells about when I was a freshman. Um, I wanted these Nikes because at that time, you probably have you ever heard of ponies? Yo, oh God, you yeah. knew about the oh, ponies? Yeah, sure. They were horrible We're the cleats. Okay, yeah, yeah, things, they were yeah. horrible. So the varsity guys only got Nikes. Uh-huh. Freshmen, sophomores got ponies. Like, man, I want some of those Nikes. Like, get out of here, young kid. You can't get none of these. The first game, I took three to the house. As a freshman? As a freshman. In a varsity game? No, in a freshman, freshman. game. Yeah. But I was on varsity starting by my sophomore year. Yeah. So he kind of came on late, didn't really see it in the beginning. But when my dad passed, this is when my high school coach and I became tight. My dad passed from complications of diabetes. My junior year. And um 
he he took over at that time as far as um you know putting his arm around me because at that time you you start going through your your collegiate process as far as taking SAT SATs and ACTs and all these different state exams and you got to have certain GPAs so he not only took me under his wings and started guiding me and what I needed to do in that realm but I was kind of running with some 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 not so good company off the field started getting in trouble you know, it was adolescent, 15, 16, and, you know, I was kind of at that fork in the road. Do I go left or I'm running with these guys or do I go right and get it together? He literally brought me into his home. I lived with him and his family for three three or four months. And um, that was the first time I seen the family dynamic of husband, wife, daughter, son. And um, it kind of just, you know, gave me a different light on what I was seeing on a daily. So I, I credit him for steering me down the right road. Because he tried to do it for a lot of other guys. They didn't do it. And a lot of guys end up going to prison, going to jail, or missing their opportunity to get a scholarship. But he took a really, really special liking to me and brought me into his home. And that changed me in high school. What would your mother think of that? when you? Oh, she called him. Oh, she did? Yeah. She called him. Because, you know... Your mom, I, as I understand now. Mamas don't like to lose their sons. Yeah, they don't know? like to lose their son, but, you know, when your son is not listening to you and yeah. you can't control your son, what are you going to do? You're going to plead for help. And mm-hmm. she knew I respected Coach Simon um, and knew I would listen to him. And he was the only person that could get to him. Because at that time, you have to understand the backdrop. I lost my grandmother, who was like my mother. She raised us the first few years of my life because my mom was trying to, you know, get herself together. Sure. Um, and then she passed. My dad passed. I lost a close aunt. It was a lot of death going on. No kidding. Um, so as a kid, dealing with all of that and trying to grow up, and I'm just, you know, my pubic hairs are starting to grow in on my chin <laughs> down below. So, you know, I'm starting to feel myself a little bit. You got all these crazy dynamics going on. And, um, yeah, and then I was running with the wrong guys. So um, you add that all that up, and my mother just, she, she couldn't do anything with me. I've always wanted to know and ask guys, how do you get involved with the wrong crowd? Like, what's the attraction to going with that guy who's being a douche? I mean, like, like what's, what, what's the attraction? It's not even that it's an attraction. It's just your environment. Um, if you go to Texas A&M or you go to any major college, right, for the most part, your environment is going to be around people that are trying to get an education that come from good homes, for the most part. I sure. know I'm generalizing. It's just going to be good people. Go to prison. What kind of people are you going to be around in prison? Yeah, bad people. Bad people. Yeah. You grow up in the hood or around the hood or you go into school with people from the hood. That's just what it is. So it's not an attraction. It's just you're in your environment. Now, some people are able to navigate that and, and, and avoid all of that, even being in that. So it's not an excuse. It's mm-hmm. just an explanation. But for me, and I think a lot of guys, I, I said this at my speech at the induction yesterday. Everyone just wants to be appreciated for the most part. You just want to be loved. You want to feel loved, appreciated, and feel like someone cares, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing. And nine times out of ten when your dad is not around or someone like that is not around that you significantly need, typically it's going to be a deuce bag that the outside world calls a deuce bag, but that deuce bag is putting a little money in your pocket. He's doing this for you. He's basically showing you love, whether it's monetary, whether it's with his time, with his just bring you along, whatever he's doing. So you don't really look at it like, oh, he's doing bad things mm-hmm. or he's doing bad things to get his money. You look at it as like, here's a guy showing me love that maybe another guy's not. Gotcha. It's All that right. simple. Yeah. It's really that simple.
So you go to Texas A&M after high school and, and you get recruited there. R.C. Slocum's the coach of Texas A&M at the time. Did you, did you have that kind of love and, and you know, wow moments at, at Texas A&M like you did in high school when you finally moved in with your coach and he took you under his wing? With Coach Slocum, yeah. you ask asking? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, there was a guy by the name of Ken Rucker who was the running backs coach. He He's actually, along with Coach Simon, my, my high school coach, because my high school coach went to Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. So he as well as Ken Rucker were the reasons because Ken Rucker, the running backs coach, recruited me. So I didn't go to Texas A&M because of R.C. Slocum at all. I went because my high school coach was pushing me to go there, telling me I would be able to play early on as a freshman, which was important. And this guy, Ken Rucker, amazing human being. And uh, he recruited me. I was like, yeah, I would like to work with him. I like him. I like his style. So Coach Rucker was that guy. And Coach Rucker ended up leaving my junior year, mm-hmm. it hurt as if my own dad. I was more sad, just full disclosure, I was more sad when Coach Rucker left to go to the University of Texas than I was when my dad passed. I didn't cry at my dad's funeral. I cried when Coach Ramil retired, and I cried. I shed a tear. I don't know if I cried. I didn't full bore cry when Coach Rucker left because that's who had the impact on me. How do you leave for Texas at Texas A&M? Like, that's like blasphemy, bro. Got to pay them bills, man. Yeah. <laughs> pay them bills, bro. You gotta, it's all loyalty sounds good until they start dangling that dollar sign in front of you. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> you look like a kid though, and, and feel like a guy that like if you played for Mac Brown, he would have been another one of those it's loves fu- in your life, oh right? My, oh my God, it's like, so. I love wait, Mac. wait, wait. Time out. It's funny you said that name. Real, real quick. Before I went to Texas A&M, I wanted to go play for Mac Brown in North Carolina. I really? Took a, yes. So I tried to do this in thirty seconds. A junior in high school, I was killing it. Had a great year. Our team had a great year. We went to the first playoffs for the first time. I was being recruited by everybody. Bobby Bowden at Florida State, Michigan, everywhere. My first choice as a junior was the University of Michigan. I break my foot my second or third game in my senior year. They kind of stopped recruiting me. They fell off because obviously they're um, nervous about my size. Can he handle the, 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 the weight load as a running back? So they fell off. So I was highly recruited as a junior, kind of fell off as a as a um senior. I went and took a visit to the University of Missouri. I went to Illinois. I went to North Carolina and Texas A&M. I first wanted to go to North Carolina with Mac Brown. Mac Brown was that amazing of a recruiter that I wanted to leave Texas and go play in North Carolina. That didn't work out. Mom shut that down. I didn't, didn't want you going far from didn't home. Didn't want me going far from home. So yeah. anyway, I had to say that because it's funny you went to that name because he was the first person that I gave a um, verbal commitment to. Because he seems like the guy that would have that kind of effect he, on people. He does, you know? and I think that's what he's a chameleon. With- like Vermeil's yes. a chameleon yes. too. One hundred percent. Kind of just blend in and do their thing. So you get done with your first year here in Kansas City. You choke out Gunther Cunningham. <laughs> Ramil calls you up. He's sending you to Europe now, right? You're going to Europe. You're going, going where? Europe. Why am I going to Europe? First time what, I ever left the country. What's it going to do for me? Good experience for you? Needed experience? How did, how did, how did you change my that? life? Really? On and off the field. Okay. Changed my life. Obviously on the field because there was no way I could get that amount of practice time and repetition to learn the position because playing running back, catching a ball out of the backfield is totally different than catching a ball as a receiver. The angles are different. Depth perception is different. It's just totally different, as you you know. Um, so that obviously is, is a given. But off the field, I really felt like I made a change for the better just in my personal life because it was the first time. You got to imagine, at this time I'm 22 years old. 
I had only been out of Texas one year. That was here in Kansas City. I had traveled here maybe. I have, think I had been to California once or twice, New York once, Miami once. I think that's about, oh, Utah once. Oh, that's fun. And 22 years, that's the only traveling I had done. So I was a Texas boy through and through. And um, I go to Scotland, and it was one of those situations to where you're either going to adapt because it's so different, or you're going to suck and tuck your tail the entire time, bitch and complain, moan and gripe because it's cold, it's gray skies every day. What kind of food are they selling us? The hotel we stayed in was creepy as, as, as can't say the word, SF. Yeah. Uh, it was just a horrible, horrible, horrible um, environment. So it was one of those situations like you're either going to adapt and, and just try to adapt to the culture and the people that don't talk like you, don't look like you, or you're going to mope and gripe and, and not get anything out of the deal. I did the former. I basically dove into the culture. And what I quickly realized was give people a chance that don't look like you. Don't be so close-minded to your upbringing and your Texas ways and your hood ways or whatever. Open up. And from that point on, I've lived life like that. And I think I have lived a full life because of it. We'll get back to my conversation with Dante Hall in a moment, but I wanted to tell you all about Red Door Grill. Red Door Grill is the best spot in Overland Park, Leewood, and Brookside for just about everything. Whether you're looking for that weekday happy hour from 4 until 7, Red Door Grill's got it. Whether you're looking for that weekend brunch on Saturday or Sunday, Red Door Grill's got it. And whether you're looking for the best appetizers and best food in Kansas City, Red Door Grill has that as well. My family and I love going to Red Door Grill. The kids love the pretzel sticks. I love the calamari on the appetizer menu. I think the salmon salad is the best that they have in Kansas City. And on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, oh, you're going to get that whiskey-soaked prime rib that is soaked in that whiskey batter and then, boom, cooked over that wood-fire grill to perfection. Get a side of mashed potatoes with it and the Alabama barbecue sauce for a topping, and you got yourself the best prime rib you're going to find. So whether you're craving prime rib, whether you want Saturday or Sunday brunch, whether you want a great happy hour during the week, Red Door Grill has it all. Check them out at reddoorgrill.com or visit one of their three locations in Overland Park, Leewood, and Brookside, and we'll see you at Red Door tonight. And so then you come back to Kansas City after that experience over in Europe, and all of a sudden you're now a wide receiver, and you're returning the ball a little bit, and you know you start to have a couple of breakout games and whatnot, and, and then comes the return in Denver, or not in Denver, but against Denver. And I don't know about you, I, every time I watch it, I just smile. I don't know how many times a week you watch this thing. How many times a week do you watch it? Even today, how many times a week you watch it? A week? I wouldn't say a week. I would say, let's go about a month, two or three times a month. Okay. And what happens, somebody usually tags me on social media, right. sends it to me, or some kind kind of way. I don't go looking for it. Honestly, I'm sick of that play, to be completely honest. Um, My favorite play is the catch against Denver. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. Okay. The return is great. It's cool. I know I get why everybody loves it and talks about it and... Um, but to me, that's probably number three or four on my list. See, that's like George Brett saying he's tired of talking about his hemorrhoids to people all the time. It's <laughs> <laughs> <This> look different. <laughs> you, can, you compare right. my return to hemorrhoids? But, but, but I know, but like, it's the thing you're defined by. Like, Got George you. will always yeah, be yeah, defined yeah, by yeah, having yeah, hemorrhoids yeah, in, the, yeah. in the ALCS or whatever it was, right? <laughs> you're always going to be defined by that, <laughs> by that it. return, yeah, right? And that, you're like, and I hey, get it. Over here, I was a wide receiver too, right? I get it. You know, that, so yeah. that's what people always want to define you. Yeah, I get it, and I get it. But for me, I'm going to tell you why the catch, which I think came before the return, was so um, 
instrumental in my in my career is because it was the first time I think I showed the coaches that I was more than just a returner. Mm-hmm. Put me on offense. I can read a blitz because a lot of people just see the cats, see me dancing and juking and go. They don't realize I had to make a sight adjustment. Not only did I have to make a sight adjustment, I understood what they were doing coverage-wise, that they were going to bring a guy off my head, have a guy sitting in coverage. So instead of just running out that full speed to catch that ball, which would have ran me right into the corner, probably would have been incomplete, or I would have got decleated, I knew to throttle it down. Just nuances of playing a receiver. So for me, I knew the intricacies of that play propelled me to get more playing time on offense which made the difference in the return game. Mm-hmm. So people don't put that, they don't tie that together. If you wonder why I s- struggled the first two years in the return game, I wasn't playing on offense. I had never been a quote-unquote pinch reliever, a pitch reliever. What mm-hmm. do they call those people in baseball? Yeah, pinch hitter. Oh, yeah, yeah, pinch hitter or right, pitch reliever right, right, or reliever, sure. whatever they call those people. I had always been the guy that played, you know, a significant amount of time on offense. So for the first time in the pros, I'm like coming off the bench and I'm I'm – getting just very sparingly playing time, and it made a difference. So when I made that play, I think in 2 my playing time went up tremendously on offense, and then from there my return game took off. Because you can get a rhythm. Yeah, You're in the flow of the game, the speed of the game. Your confidence rises. Right. All these things tied back to that play. Because I noticed the next week after that play, I had about 25 plays just for me. <laughs> just for me. <laughs> All right, this guy's got it figured out yeah. now. We can rely yeah. on him. Yeah. And I started playing on the outside and the Y and the Z. And it's like, okay, now we're playing ball again. Now you so for good. me, that's why that particular play gotcha. is my favorite. And you got the great Stuart Scott. Calling that play yeah, on the ESPN, right. yes, yeah, so many things. The, that's cool that you kind of like get excited about things like that. Yeah, like, like yeah. people like seem to think like you guys block everything out, but you see yourself on Sports Center. That was pretty cool. That oh, first what? moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. What was the first Sports Center moment you remember? That's a good question. Thank first, you. First, let me go back. Let me go back. College. Oh yeah, college. Texas and then we played Florida State in a uh, the, the classic. It was college the first time. That was trippy. And the pros the first time was um, Monday Night Football against Seattle. That was the first time. Yep, that's it. You be, sitting there, yeah, I'm sitting there going down the memory lane, man. Let yeah. me, bring me back. And he was sitting there going, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm pretty on cool. Sports Center. Because on Sports Center. a lot of guys, I think, were highly talented and highly recruited and first-rounders, so they probably get jaded. Yeah. You know, for me, every every stage of my career, junior high, high school, college, and the pros, I had to work for it. That's number one. And number two, um, I'm just a fan of sports, even to this day. Like, I love, love sports. I appreciate people that play sports because I know what goes into it. And to be able to have gone through that gauntlet, understand how it works behind the scenes, I'm even more so of a, of a fan of sports now. So that that childhood giddiness of being a, a fan of sports has never left and will never leave. When you look back at that 2003 team, because we're getting a lot of comparisons now between this 2018 Chiefs team to 2003, 2004 comes up a lot with what you guys were able to do offensively. Do you look at it like you go, man, we underachieved. We should have, we should have had championships. We should have had oh, rings with that team. Absolutely. What happened? 100%. Uh, we couldn't make anybody punt. <laughs> couldn't make anybody <laughs> punt. I mean, we scored 31 in a playoff game at home. Yeah. Nobody punts. That's what happened. Um, I'm kidding, kind of being no. facetious, but um, basically we, uh, yeah, we ran into Peyton Manning. Um, I think a lot of people have the same stories that we have during that era. It was Brady and Manning for the most part, mm-hmm. you, unless you had five Hall of Famers on defense like the Ravens did, or Pittsburgh Steelers did. 
You just wasn't going to beat those guys. You needed that type of dynamic on defense. So as great as the offense was, um, we just couldn't overcome the greatness of Brady and Manning. Because the three times I played in the playoffs, we lost to the coach every time. Yeah, and it seems like, too, like with this team right now that we're looking at, the defense isn't really good. We know that. Yeah. Right? Everybody knows that. But the offense is spectacular, <laughs> just like it was during All-time great. Did you guys have animosity build in the locker room and stuff like that where you look at those guys and go, just get a freaking stop, you sons of guns? I'm pretty sure we had it, but we didn't verbalize it. Yeah. We definitely had it. I mean, it's just human nature. How could you not? Yeah, how right? could you not? I'm pretty sure they had it, right? Had it for themselves because they knew what we had on offense. One or two guys I was really close with on defense, they would joke about it. So, yeah, absolutely. But we were a solid team. We stuck together, and we just tried to, you know, uh, pull the slack and whatever they were lacking in. But, um, yeah, we definitely felt at times like, ah, we got to score 30 every time just to win. It's hard to do. Hard to do. Especially then. Exactly. Exactly. This era, I'm not as concerned about the defense. Defensive woes that we have with this particular 2018 version because the rules are not in place for defenses right. to be successful. So you got a Patrick Mahomes, really. If you got a guy like that, a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, I put him in that that spectrum now. You got a guy like that, that's what wins championships. No now. question, man. It's all about the quarterback. It's such a quarterback driven league. Yep. How yep. how did the X Factor name start? So the X Factor started um, when I first was converted to receiver. Mm-hmm. I was the X receiver. And at that time, um, we were definitely not going to the playoffs. This was like 2001. We're definitely not going to the playoffs. And you got to find ways as a professional to make practice fun when you know you're not playing for anything. So, you know, we just had a competition against disease and practice. And, like, you know, when I score, I'm going to throw up the X, represent the X's. And then I actually scored in the game one time. And I just kind of said it casually in an in a interview, joking around. And it just kind of gradually took off, and I just started throwing up the X because that was my position. And from there, it just became my thing. And once it became my thing, I had to do my thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just basically an innocent, just trying to make practice fun. I'm representing the X, the position I played, and next thing I know, it's on Gatorade bottles and and TV commercials and all of that. But, yeah, it was just something fun I was trying to do in practice. How many times when you were going through all that did you just have to stop and pinch yourself and go, Damn, this is pretty freaking yeah, cool, right? Often. Yeah. Often. I think the culmination was. Cause you seem like a guy that would like appreciate that. Like there's 100%. some dudes that were like, eh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're like, this is yeah, awesome. Yeah, right? 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this person, this person wants to talk to me. The culmination was David Letterman. I was going to get to that because that dude's my idol. Like I, I think I, I model what I do a little bit on what Letterman does, right? I just love him. I love him too. And I watched it the other night before I was preparing for this, and I'm watching that. And I'm just thinking to myself, I don't even really remember what you guys talked about. Like he asked you some <laughs> bizarre questions, but I'm thinking to myself, you're on Letterman, man. Dude, like at that time, you're on Letterman. What was that experience that was like for you? The, like I say, probably the height of everything. Because not only was I on Letterman, I met Pamela Anderson. Oh, she's right next to my jo- in a row, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so she's half she naked. Good, yeah. Uh, she was all right. Yeah. She was half naked. Um, next to me, I'm on David Letterman. I'm catching punts off the Ed Sullivan building in New York City. Yeah. And then I went and met my all time idol, all time, Jay Z. Not only did I meet him that night, got to hang out with him, talk with him. And we watched my second all time idol that night play basketball in his first game, LeBron James. So that night. You saw LeBron's first game? With Jay Z. With Jay Z. At his sports bar. 
That's the combination. Cool. Yep. That How did was, the Jay Z thing? Was he on the show that night? Or he something? wasn't on the show. So at that time, man, when you when you were a rock star, I realized what I realized. When you were a rock star and you were doing having the season I was having, and your name is Arlo, you can make a call and pretty much make anything happen. I met, called a lady that I had did some work with in New York. She basically does all the NFL. Um, what's her title? Prom- not promotional. Um, she's just in that world. So like for Super Bowl parties. Uh, Maxim parties. That's what her job title was, was to basically facilitate all these celebrities. Like an event and planner type that, thing. I, something like that, yeah. exactly. So she knew of these people. She was from New York. So I just reached out to her. Hey, is there any way I can meet Jay Z? She reached out, made it happen. She made it happen. So it was just that simple. And was he like cool to meet you too? Yeah, like, he wanted my jersey, all, yeah. he wanted my autographs. Like, what? No, like, I want your autograph and I want your jersey. He gave me his number. You still got it? No. I mean, it's, that's, the, that's the Jay-Z before Beyonce. Right. Come on now. Yeah. This, is, this is a new Jay-Z. Yeah. He's Sean Carter now. Yeah. <laughs> he got dudes that he's new for 30 years that can't get a hold of him. But for a moment, I had his number and could call him up at any time. Did you ever call him up after One that? time, yeah. You did for yeah. what? Yeah. Oh, to let him know the jersey was on the way and oh, to see yeah. if he, he, was going, he was at a fight in uh, Vegas one time, too, and I ran into his best friend, Tata. Uh-huh. So I reached out like, "Where's the party at?" But he's a super down to earth dude. Now that we're talking o three o four five. Right. I don't know what this version of Jay Z is. Haven't had the privilege to hang out with this version. He's ascended pretty high. When did you realize you could make whatever you want happen happen? O three o three o three o three o four. When you guys were five and o six and o, was it Letterman that made it like possible? It was, it was pretty much in that window. Yeah, Letterman pretty much put me on the map. Put me on the map. It's kind of like you was talking about with Odell. People that don't even like Kansas City, know of Dante Hall, anything like that, you know, um, started reaching out. But why was I did events for, but why was in Hawaii? There's all kind of crazy things that came from being on David Letterman. Cause you what? know, everyone wants to be a test of success. Sure. That's it. It's that simple. It's not really rocket science. Right. What was the coolest thing you got to do where you went, man? This that, is, that, that's it. That's it. That's it, was. it. Oh, because I didn't even tell you. So, I went to David Letterman on my bye week. Yeah, right. So not you guys only, were 8-0 at that eight time. 8-0 at the time. Yeah. I'm on David Letterman. I meet Pamela Anderson. I meet Jay-Z. I didn't even finish telling you. That week, so after I leave New York, a, a group of my friends, we went to Toronto. I met Vince Carter. That's when Vince Carter was at the height of his you know, pinnacle, you know, during his Toronto Raptors day. Yeah. So I meet him. I'm sitting courtside. They have me come out and catch a punt at the Toronto Raptors game. Vince Carter... Gives me his like wristbands. We, I have pictures of all this stuff too. So, uh, yeah, that week was the highlight because not only was I'm on Letterman and all that, but I'm meeting people at the time that I just admired tremendously. Like Vince Carter was the greatest dunker, mm-hmm. was the greatest dunker of all time. Yeah. He was my favorite NBA player at that time after Michael Jordan. And then I'm meeting Jay Z. So for me, that meeting all of those people, having a good time and doing it with my best friends, we still talk about it till this day. To this day. So for me, absolute highlight of my of my career as far as off the field privileges that came from the success on the field. How does the David Letterman thing come to happen? Do they call the Chiefs and set that up? Exactly. Is that how that happens? Exactly how they happen. I thought it was a joke. Right. So they so call Bob the Moore comes and yeah, yeah, David yeah, yeah. Letterman <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Hey, dude, let him in my to talk with to those you. glasses. With the glasses, why I go on one yeah, way and another? Yeah. Sorry, Bob, hope you're not listening. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, good man. He's uh, in retirement. Yeah, okay, He's not yeah, listening. Listen. Yeah. So yeah, he calm with that. One of my walk. favorites. I love Bob. Right, like, like I just like I always got along with him, and I could just see him. Yeah, let him in my to talk to you. You want to go talk to his ass or what? Exactly. That's exactly how it happened. 
So they reached, they came to me out to practice. Hey, on your bye week, David, I stop playing. Like, no, seriously, stop playing. And then the producers called and started setting on flights. Like, oh, this is really going to happen. Private jet? No. no. First class, though. Okay. First go. class. Not a private jet. First class. You got to go private, man. Yeah. You got to go private. All right, put on those headphones. I want to play something that I found on the internet for you that I think, I think it's from 2004. And I think this is something that will blow your mind when we talk about the present day. So here it is. I want you to listen to this, and then I want to get your reaction. I was an animal. I'd be a cheetah. So I can run fast. I can get high, get low. And, and cheetahs are pretty. So pretty. So you can be all of that and look pretty. Gotta love it. Can I run a cheetah? Yeah, I cannot run a cheetah. <laughs> I just got chills. I absolutely got chills because obviously Tyreek Hill is the cheetah. Right. I'm a clairvoyant. <laughs> How about that? That was 2004. That's crazy. I know. I did that for the Cartoon Network. Right. Something called Toonami. Toonami. Right. In our head. I remember right. that. And I'm watching this last but night. I didn't realize the cheetah. Is that what you were getting that, at? That's what that? I was getting at. Okay. I'm like, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, the cheetah. Right. I was like, what? Look at that premonition, man. Like, that that was 2004. He was here. Like, Just call me Nostradante. I mean, the Nostradante, well, that's like 13 yeah. years before 14. it happened. Yeah. Well, I guess Cheetah came. Yeah, last year. Right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So over 10 years over before somebody says to you, what kind of animal would you be? And you're like, I'll be a cheetah because they can run fast and do all this kind of stuff. And now the guy who everybody's saying is the next Dante Hall. Un- it's nicknamed Unbelievable. Cheetah. I don't believe I got the like, listening to that, like man. I don't believe in a lot of things. I think a lot of things, all right, whatever, right? <laughs> I believe in things happen for a reason. Like that's the number one thing that I believe in. Stuff happens for a reason. I agree. That happened for a reason, I agree. right? That's insane. That's great, great research by you. Thank you. And I knew about obviously I could tell you what it was when I filmed and all. Never put the comparisons together. Never tied that together until I just heard that. Unbelievable. Wow. Speechless. Yeah. That's good. I don't know what to say, man. That's just scary. What are your thoughts on Tyreek Hill? Love Tyreek. Love, love, love Tyreek. Um, and I, I said it before the season that he's more than a returner. He's not just a returner anymore. And I can relate to that because I know people try to put me in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a returner. And I think it's the first time we've ever seen a guy with that type of speed that's actually a football player. A lot of guys, I think I can think of two guys that had that type of speed, they were actually football players too. Daryl Green is one that comes to mind, and then Deion Sanders. I can't think of any of I've played with a lot of guys. We, we had a guy on the team by the name of John Capel, Olympian track star. This guy. Well, what team? With the Chiefs. Really? Yeah, the Chiefs what brought him in. What was his name? John Capel. I never even heard Look, of him. Look, exactly, because he never played football. Yeah. But he was an Olympics a runner, Um, crazy speed. The, guy, the things he could do on the football field was crazy if you sent him vertical. Lateral, reading the coverage, Not happening. coming out of a break, quarterback friendly, all of these nuances of receiver that I, that's hard to do. I see in Tyreek. I see in him. And I think that's what makes him special is that he has that rare speed, but he's also a football player. How hard is it to get out of that box? Because everybody gets typecast no matter yes, what they do. That's you true. Get typecast. That's true. How do you break through that? By performing. That's it. Performing over and over and over. And I think at this point this year, he's shown that he's more than just a return. Just through five games. If you still think this kid is just a returner, 
you're blind. Well, I agree. And I said that going into the season. Yeah. I said the number one thing that I want to see this year, and I think we will see it, he emerges as a number one wide receiver. Yep. And he did it in week one. Yep. And just like exactly. took over. Exactly. He He's the new Antonio Brown. I see a lot of Antonio Brown in his game. Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. A lot of people see a lot of Dante Hall in his game. I don't. I don't. He's more vertical and can do lateral. I was more lateral but could go vertical. Um, my game was more shake and bake. His game is more, once the ball is in my hand, I'm going to turn on the afterburners. Yeah, I could turn on the afterburners, but I needed to shake you first. I needed to break you down, shake you, put a move on you. And So I think those are the two biggest differences. We think the biggest troll job would be for him to wear a parachute when he gets in the end zone, hit the parachute button, and just stop and have the parachute <laughs> shoot out his back. That would be the ultimate troll. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can we make ultimate. that happen? Probably not. I think that would be yeah, great. I yeah. think the NFL would love it. Um, is this a Super Bowl team? My bias wants to say yes, but looking at history, I'm not sure. I'll tell you like I just told an, uh, another reporter the other day. I'm nine toes in. I don't quite have ten toes in yet. I'm nine toes in, though, only because of the dynamics of the offense and the rules that are in place on defense um, makes me believe that it can happen. But I just can't shake what I've always believed in, that defense wins championships. Yeah. So that last big toe that I can't fully cement to the ground won't allow me to convincingly say with conviction, yes. But I give you nine toes. Because you, you're an old curmudgeon like I am, too, that still yeah, believes yeah, yeah, defense yeah, yeah, wins exactly, championships. Right? Exactly, but I'm like, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. You got something special with now, this kid. Now, I will say this. I'll say this. If we get home field advantage, absolutely. If we have to go on the road, I don't know. Yeah, it could be tough. That's number one. And then the other thing, whether we'll play a big part. If we get lucky during the playoff run and we have decent weather, mm-hmm. although I still believe we can run the ball with Kareem Hunt in, in bad weather, I still like having our full arsenal on deck. So no snow games, no 20 below, ice. Have those two things work in our favor, then, then I put that other big toe in. Everybody in their life deals with disappointment. Yours, much like mine, was moving to St. Louis. That experience, it sucked for me. I know it sucked for you. How do you handle disappointment? Because you're a positive, happy, everything's great, great outlook on life guy. How do you handle disappointment? You have to just put it all in perspective. That's what I had to do. Um, you also need, you need people to understand who you are. That's why I think communication and and getting to know someone really, really helps in that. And what I mean by that is this. If you don't know me and you catch me in a competitive environment, which I'm very, super competitive, I get I have a bad temper when I'm competing or I have a bad temper when I'm I think something is wrong, then you won't realize all the like you say, all the other positive aspects of me. So for me, um, you need to know me. Number one, but the way I get over it is just I try to put everything into perspective and realize, you know, you maybe are loving this game a little too much. It's not the end all be all. And I have to calm myself down. So I remove myself if I'm in a bad space. I remove myself. I have a talk with myself. I bring proper perspective in and then I, I move on. That's how I handle bad. You still do it to this day? To this day. Even, I'm better at it now. It started, it started to, um, 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 coming to fruition when I was in St. Louis because it was the first time in a long time uh, after my rookie year that I had to come to that. And um, my the first year there was bad. Mm-hmm. Second year, I had a great perspective, and then I just carried that throughout my life. And now that I have kids, 
is even more so. How much of Dick Vermeil is in you when you're a father to these kids you got now? Um, I, none, none, none. I, I, I have two girls. I, my son is older, he's but older, I have two. Yeah. He's older. I got two girls. I have too. two it's girls. And I love it. I wouldn't want a boy now. I said I that. Agree. Oh. I wouldn't want a boy now because I have a boy. Well, you got one. I never I get, had one. And well, I'm, you need one. You got to carry your last name. Well, we got gonna, plenty of them. We got, okay. we got cousins. <laughs> We're good. We're, the, the last name's going on. But like, I don't know that I would be good as a father with a boy like I am with a with the girls. Now, with my boy, oh, I'm just like Coach Vermeer with my boy. I'm ho- I'm tough love. Yeah, I'm gonna love you hard, but I'm gonna be on you hard. With my girls, I am a softy, custard with sprinkles on top. There you go. What's the coolest thing for you about being a dad? Coolest thing is uh, watching them grow. Watching them go from they were here two months ago, now they're here. It is the most amazing thing is just watching them grow. It's fun. That's why it's important. I don't understand how dad would not want to be around his kids. Like something is mentally wrong with you. Your wirings are cross-circuited. Something is wrong because it's, to me, the most beautiful thing. I would trade being a father to my girls. I would trade in all the success I had on the football field. It's true. It's 100%. It, 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 it grounds you. It makes you understand what really is important in life. And that you know? feeling that you get, nothing on the football field I've ever accomplished compared. I don't know if does not compare. When I when my little eight-month-old daughter is crying, sees me walk in the room, and flashes that smile. Yep. Are you kidding me? Or they come up and just give you a big hug oh, and that. say, I love you. Oh. oh, I just got to that point. Yeah. I just got to that with my toddler. Yeah. Nothing. They grab you. They'd love you, Daddy. Yeah, no I'd doubt. love you. No doubt. Um, finally, I want to leave you with this. Who's the coolest name and number you got in your phone? Oh. <laughs> hmm. That's a good question. A lot of numbers in here. The coolest. Wow, you should have gave me a time to go through the thing right now. Let me just see. Who's the coolest? Errol Campbell? That's pretty cool. That's Earl good. Campbell? That's a good one. That's the first one that comes to mind. I'm, probably, I'm sure I could go through a lot more, but that's the first one that comes to mind. Does it ever, does it ever like hit you like, like you take a step back and you go, all these people know who I am? Yes, today. all the time. Absolutely. All the time. It doesn't, it, it's more shocking. It doesn't make that, doesn't make me feel good because I understand this is more of a shock when someone you respect, someone you I guess idolize is the word or someone. Yeah. Respect, I guess, is the word. You respect what they've done with their craft or whatever. Um, knows who you are. It just cements and further confirms like, wow, your time on the field was acknowledged. Just like getting inducted into the uh, Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah. It just shows appreciation and confirmation for your time on the gridiron. Is there anything you do over? Um, yeah. What is it? I wouldn't retire. After St. Louis. Really? I would have kept playing. I had opportunities to play. Where at? Houston was calling. Um, I, who else? My agent was telling me. Maybe Frisco. There were several teams. I wasn't even, cause I went into my last season, cause it was the last year of my contract. Mm-hmm. It was just decent money at that time. I didn't owe anybody any money, so I'm feeling like it's a great time to retire. I kept being hurt, kept getting hurt rather. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just playing in, in that dome in St. Louis, oh, but it yeah. it was so gloomy. It just took my zest. It took my joy playing football. It just zapped it. I wanted no part of football. Didn't want to play anymore. But in hindsight, I should have kept playing. I should have kept playing. At least another three to five years. I had it in me. I'm still in shape to this day. So that's the only thing I regret. I retired too early. Thanks, Dante. My man, it was enjoyable. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dante Hall, the X-Factor. You can see how he clearly had a career blossom here in Kansas City, how he dealt with the love of Dick Vermeil, how he dealt with the disappointment of St. Louis, and now how he's become a great father to a couple of kids on his own. That's my conversation with the X-Factor, Dante Hall. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.